0: Hello and welcome to the Shay Hates Everything podcast, where we talk about video games, movies, comics, and other shit that matters. My name is Shay, and today I hate learning something new
1: and not immediately understanding it. My name's Kyle, and today I hate having so many videos open in a browser when I swap tabs, the video that's still playing skips around and the audio starts cutting out, and it just grates on my nerves. <laughs> is
0: that like an internet issue or is it like a computer? I issue? I think it's a computer you, issue. There's I, I too think, many things
1: going on. Well, because when I say I have a lot of tabs open, I mean I have about like twenty five tabs of different yeah, YouTube that videos to me too. Because instead of like actually using the subscriptions thing and like having YouTube tell me what videos I've watched, I just open them all as they're released, mm. and then and then you realize, oh, I've seen this already. No, no, I mean like as soon as I see it. Up in my subscriptions i open it in a new tab gotcha. and pause it and then so i can see all of the videos i have to watch in like one or two browser windows i actually have and to- so they'll just stay open forever exactly until you get time to yeah. watch um, that's smart
0: good use <laughs> good use of your technology there. Yeah, exactly. hey i got ram to spare what's up yeah um I definitely – like, I utilize the subscriptions tab, but I I fall into the same trap where there are so many YouTube channels that I follow, and I really only watch videos once, maybe twice a week. And so I'll – you know, when I'm going to watch YouTube videos, it's going to be three or four hours of me watching YouTube videos. So I totally do the same thing. I I open all of them up, and then I go through and order them because it's like, oh, hey, I have – four B videos that I want to watch. I don't want to watch all those in a row. I want to watch one at the beginning and then I'll come back to it, you know, six videos later and then one at the very end because, because these are like compulsive. 40
1: minute Minecraft videos. Well, yeah, you don't want to and do like I a mean, bunch
0: of those back to back. That's a bad example. Cause to be honest, I am not caught up on B because they're so long. It's yeah. like, if you fall a week behind watching someone who uploads a 30 minute video every day, it's just that you're never going to catch up. You have to get over it at some point. Right. Um, but we have a lot of stuff to talk about today, so I don't want to like spend too much time on anything else. Um, we're going to be walking through some more E3 games. Last episode, we talked about three big press conferences, EA, Bethesda, and Ubisoft, and kind of went through their big games they announced. Talked a little bit about each of them. Today, we're going to be talking about Microsoft and Nintendo, and then in the next episode, we'll walk through Sony's press conference and then a couple other games that really weren't present at any of the press conferences that uh, we feel are worth talking about. But before we get to that, I do want to bring this up because we talked about it a little bit in the last episode. So the new season of Game of Thrones is starting. I love that show. I'm obsessed with that show as well as the books. Kyle, you used to watch it and then you stopped, and I feel like you have now fallen into this hipster category of people that like brag about the fact that they don't watch Game of Thrones. And so I want to hear like from the ma- from from the horse's mouth, why like
1: why the fuck would you stop watching this show it's amazing all right first off one problem with what you've said is uh-huh. i don't brag about the fact that i don't watch it just if it comes up in conversation i go yeah i don't watch that show i don't like it so that the people who are trying to tell me about this thing they're excited about know that i'm going to have zero appreciation for it so that's fair like, that's I, fair You, I you save you them don't... time
0: But it's you're right, you don't brag about not watching it,
1: but there are certainly people out there that are like,
0: oh, I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones, how cool am I? That's, That's not what I'm getting at with you. Right. But I feel like you do have this, like, I think it comes down to your stubbornness, and I don't mean to be hypocritical, I'm just as stubborn as you sometimes but i feel like it's the stubbornness of like no i've decided to stop watching i don't give a shit what you say about the show how many people like the show what they change what they do all the cool shit that's happening i will never watch the show again because i have decided that i will never watch the show again that's more what i'm getting at
1: yeah i would say that's probably like 49 percent of it and then the other 51 percent just so i can say that's not the majority uh the, the other 51 percent is I just got burned by that show too many times. Like, just all burned in what way? Because this this is the crux of the issue. Uh, Yeah, uh, I I became very attached to specific characters, and they died in what I felt to be like really dumb, completely avoidable ways like so so how far how far did you get and and to be fair
0: like i'm not going to be spoiling like later seasons of the show because they're more recent for people but like how far did you get because we will talk about spoilers up until that point
1: so i stopped watching after red wedding like that was the episode where I, okay because okay. rob was the last character i was like yes i'm really interested in seeing what they do with him and like his potential right. for like bringing some good to this place and they fucking wiped him out in the stupid shittiest way possible and that really upset me um because Mm. i grow very attached to characters in different medias like uh, maybe more than some people do and so (laughs) because that show discards people with wanton abandon um it that upsets me and i just don't need to spend time on something that upsets me that much also like the only other character I was attached to was Joffrey because I just wanted to see how he was gonna fucking die. And a yeah. he lived way too long after he should have. But and and b I I did see I, I went back and watched. My friend showed me his death and then okay. also like a, so you another got, you significant got that death. resolution. I did. Yeah. And so okay. that's I feel that's all I really need. Now I've heard. Go ahead. W- uh, I, I the White Walkers were also interesting to me and the fact that they never mm. came up like at all in those earlier seasons apart from that initial like first episode thing um was another thing that bugged me and i didn't want to keep watching and getting burned by the show in the hopes that someday some white walker shit would happen and now i know i've heard some stuff about that in more recent seasons um and i'm just i can't like i that show isn't set up so like you can just watch the White Walker stuff, like be- oh for sure, because you know it's all so connected, um, and and all all, all the different people's storylines, you know they, um, they intersect and then diverge and and I, admittedly probably interesting ways I assume, um, and I just like the, the oh, White Walker's is the only thing that would still interest me. Like I don't care about Jon Snow, like whatever I don't care who his parents actually are. I don't give a shit about that and Arya. I don't really care about her character either. I mean, the assassin thing was kind of cool, and I've heard maybe there's a little more of that hinted at. Um, the
0: faceless men. Yes, yeah,
1: and uh, like also the uh, Danny. I'm not into the Danny stuff or the dragons or whatever. That's right. like this. It's because they in the earlier seasons they set it up to be this thing that effectively has no impact on the rest of the story until way down the line, and I needed some form of intersection. Right like and that just never happened for me in like the first two or three seasons so I just yeah. be- I just became uninterested in that storyline and it's just I I get the really long books and the whole like I'm sure there's tons of payoff for all these different storylines it's like I just don't want to put myself through it because it's a slog like emotionally and mentally in my opinion um, yeah I
0: mean obviously it's you, Everyone has their own opinion. Like, I wouldn't consider it a quote-unquote slog. Like, I feel like that has a lot of negative connotations. But it certainly is like a slow burn. Even if you are a fan of it, things can move very slowly in the course of the show. Okay, That that I definitely agree with. Slow
1: burn, yes.
0: Yeah. I, I just... It's just... And, and, like, you're allowed to watch whatever the hell you want to watch. And, obviously, I poke fun at you about the stubborn attitude that you can take about some stuff. But, like, the core of it is more just... It just seems weird to me because you're such a big fan of fantasy and high fantasy, in, in like, specifically. It just seems weird that this isn't a show that you, you know, a- attached yourself to. Because, you know, it is slow. And I get from the perspective of, like... You know, they make me care about this character, and then they kill this character, because that show is so unique on television for what it's willing to do. You know, I-, I always liken it back to Psycho, you know, one of the best films ever made, where you spend, like, half of this movie with this main character, figuring out her story, why she's doing what she's doing in this place, and then she just fucking gets killed. And then it's like, wait, that, that's not the story of this movie? What the hell's going on? And it was so unique at the time. And there aren't many things that have replicated that sort of mentality. And I know that's what made me so impressed by Game of Thrones because I saw the first season before reading the books was when Ned died like at the end of that season. And you're like, holy shit, this is the main character of this show. And they just killed him off. Well, you knew he was going to die. I mean, he dies in everything. I mean, I didn't. (laughs) Well, yes, fair enough. Sean Bean. Yes, that's fair point. Sean Bean dies in everything. But like from a character perspective, it was like, oh, they create this really intense scenario. How is he going to get out of it? That's what will be interesting is how is he going to get out of it? And then wait, fuck, he didn't get out of it. Are you kidding me? And so it really set the stage for all these characters. Like I totally get the perspective of why care about these characters if they're all gonna die anyway. I feel like one of the strengths of the show is that it's constantly, constantly introducing new characters for you to be interested in. And whenever kind of there's a storyline that takes a back seat or something moves a little more slowly. Like I look back at uh, season five of the show, which was, I I consider to be kind of the weakest season. There's a whole thing with Daenerys where she's just in this city of Moraine ruling and she just doesn't really do much. And she's kind of an ineffectual leader. There's not much interesting going on with her story and it's boring and like, I'm not making any excuse because it is boring, but it, the show also does introduce these other storylines to kind of keep your attention. And they fairly successfully limit her amount of screen time because it's not as engaging as like the other stuff that's going on. And I guess like that, that's the crux of what I wa- like why I wanted to bring this up is it just seems so odd to me that for someone that likes fantasy as much as you do what most people consider to be the best fantasy show on television quite possibly the best fantasy show to ever be on television you aren't into it just seemed weird to me
1: yeah i guess it just it really comes down to um i don't like like i i I like stories that have a beginning a middle and an end and a character Mm -hmm. arc and i like a sense of understanding and completion and like it to be wrapped up neatly and you know a lot especially with characters that i'm very invested in so a lot of you know that, that's why most forms of media you know fantasy or otherwise your main characters don't die you know there's some sort of an engaging and a fe- not necessarily a feel good but a um a resolution which you can ter- come to terms with and yeah. uh Game of Thrones very rarely did that for any of its characters. They just die really shitty awful deaths. And like that's <laughs> that's not a that's not a a wrapped present, right? Sure. That's like I, I don't know. I, I could come up with an analogy, but I'm not going to. I think that my statement stands on its own. But um it's yeah. just that's that doesn't make me feel good, you know? Like that doesn't make me feel like there's some sense of completion or understanding that I have about right. the character and their circumstances. I don't feel like anything's changed for the better for them or anything. Like they just die shitty, awful deaths. <laughs> and like that I mean, sucks, not all of them. But but most. Sometimes they do die heroically. Yeah, yes. sure. But and you're like, right. I, I, yeah, I'm not going to dispute that. That's why I say most. Uh, there are definitely knowledge. places where like, wait, seriously, why would that character
0: die right there? Like, it, it feels so atypical is what it is because we're so used to watching TV and movies with these, you know, larger overarching storylines where all of these characters matter. And, and like you're saying, like there's some sense of satisfaction to even if a character dies, like they die in a way that matters and is important. And Game of Thrones is not that way. Right. Like, it it feels more real to life. Because, like, you can have, you know, these everyday heroes in real life that you think, you know, have this grander impact. And then, nope, they just die. I remember watching The Pacific, which was a television follow-up to Band of Brothers. Phenomenal show. uh, The Pacific, a little less so. But there was a character on there who was, I believe he was the very first person to ever win the Medal of Honor. And it was in the Japanese... uh, theater of war i guess you would say and you know he's this super heroic uh character or person that really existed that they put on television and he wins the medal of honor and then decides to go back for another tour of duty in japan and then just randomly dies like just you know nothing special He, he you know he won the medal of honor for doing this crazy heroic act and saved a bunch of his other platoon mates and killed a bunch of japanese soldiers and you know was this huge badass Gets the Medal of Honor, goes back to the war, and then like just randomly dies. Like doesn't do anything heroic to die. Doesn't like saving people's lives to die. He just gets shot and dies, and that's the end of his story. And it's one of those where like, ah, like that's not how that's supposed to go. Right? You like, should go out in some big blaze of glory. Like, you don't feel so it's good it's kind of more of it. like a yeah. It's like a it's a real life example of something like Game of Thrones, where right. there are these big storylines that are happening, and some characters just don't get to see them all the way through. And that's just the way that life works but i get why because television and movies are this separate entertaining medium this escapist medium yes. why that isn't always satisfying <laughs> yeah and that
1: that last bit you just said there it sums up you know yeah. what i was going to come back to you with but yeah i mean it's just you know for me it's escapism and i like sure. i deal with shitty real world stuff all the time and like i don't, <laughs> don't want that in your tv exactly like and, you know, and <laughs> there are you know that. there's plenty of um interesting and engaging um, forms of media you know the art imitates life community people are really into that Mm -hmm. that's never been for me i can appreciate it and understand it and see why someone might be interested but it's just not for me and so when even if it's a formula i enjoy and you know connect with if it leans more towards that direction because life so often does not have neat tie-ups at the end um it's just it doesn't feel good and so it's like reading the fifth harry (laughs) potter book like that it doesn't feel good to read but i mean that doesn't make it less of an accomplishment or less interesting it just doesn't feel good and so i don't enjoy it you know
0: yeah and i mean honestly the biggest reason that it bums me out you're not still watching the show is i mean i like to look at things and talk about things on kind of a deeper level than a lot of people do yeah. and that's not to say that like my way is better but like you're one of the few people I know that thinks about things in, the, in a similar way which is partially why I like doing this podcast with you but it's it like it's purely selfish like what that you're not watching the show I want you to watch the show so that we can talk about yeah, exactly. it like, that's the real reason it's not even that I think it's good and I think you should watch it because it's of a high quality it's totally selfish it's just I want someone to talk to about the show
1: so I, I, look, I, I totally get it I do that all the time with you too like I pressure you to buy games yeah. and because yes. I want it. you want about someone to talk to about it. With you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. So,
0: I mean, like the only reason I bring all of this up, I just thought it would be interesting to dive into because it's such a popular show, and I'm sure a lot of people listening like it, and I'm sure some people don't like it or haven't watched it at all. So, I think it's interesting to hear like a differing opinion. There are plenty of things that are really popular in pop culture that I do not enjoy, like the Beatles, for example. But that's like a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> So uh kind of before we move into all the e three games, I do you just want to catch up with you like what 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 stuff
1: you've been playing what you've been watching lately um well, I just finished wolinda uh it's a show on BBC they have it on Netflix right. we uh, watched the first two episodes when you were in town right and they're like hour and a half episodes and it's three episodes a series and it's not a season uh-huh. it's you know it's British so it's series um and so and I, I have to do everything different yeah yeah. Or I guess I guess probably we have to. America <laughs> I'm, is the one that's yes. different because <laughs> we came after and we are doing a terrible job. Um, so you know, I, I finally finished it and I'm I'll be really interested to talk with you on podcast or off podcast um, about uh, the last couple episodes of that show and how it mm-hmm. ends. Because it is, to use your term, a slow burn, definitely, because mm-hmm. they're. I mean, they're about twice as long as an episode of any other normal cop drama, detective story. Um, And so a lot of those episodes do have slow parts. But I feel like they really effectively use that time for expanding on his character and giving him teaching moments. Um, Yeah. So I I just thought it was really interesting. And there's a little thing from our personal life that kind of crops up as a topic um, throughout the show. um, And... So that hit me a lot harder than it might other people for the last couple episodes. So I'm interested to see what you have to say about it. Um, so finished watching that. And then in terms of what but
0: you, that you would, you would recommend. Yes, you would recommend I,
1: absolutely. I, I think, um, Oh God, what is his name? What was the lead? Kenneth Branagh. Yes. Kenneth Branagh. He, it's fabulous job. Yeah, uh, yeah. and, and really, I mean, even the supporting cast is super
0: talented. Um, For me, I mean, having only seen the first two episodes, I will continue to watch it. I was interested enough in it, and knowing that you finished it and are curious to hear my thoughts, like, that'll help me drive me through. I mean, I will just say, as someone who watches a lot of those kind of uh, more, existential's not the word, but, like, intellectual uh, detective kinds of shows, a lot of those come out of Britain, honestly. As someone who's seen a lot of those, to me, Wallander... I don't know that it stands up super high compared to some other ones like Marcella that I've seen, but right. like for me at least it will it's good enough that I will continue to watch, but not something I would want to binge watch because the episodes are so long because it is pretty slow and it's a fairly sedate kind of show.
1: It's not actiony uh, a lot of times. So right.
0: it's, it's definitely a slow burn.
1: Yeah. I mean, it has those action breakout moments and I honestly think yeah. those are done pretty well and you know, they don't feel out of place, but, yeah, I definitely, I would recommend it. And I think everything you said about it's fair. Um, yeah. In terms of what I've been playing, uh, the Enderal mod for Skyrim. So what the Enderal mod does is it uh, takes Skyrim, changes a few of the base mechanics of it, and has an entirely different continent full of um, quests and stories and characters and NPCs and all that stuff. So it's it's a different continent. Uh, so you have to start yeah. a different character for Enderal. Um and it's it's massive and, and it's impressive too, uh as a as a community generated piece of content it's very impressive. Um, and
0: is it final? I know it's been in like beta for a really long time, but is it like fully released? They're done making updates to it.
1: I think so. Um, I've been I've
0: been following it for a couple of years. Yeah, that's but the understanding I, I it
1: had yet. when I downloaded it. Is that it's done? You know, they like they're still going to be bug fixing it and stuff every now and then, sure. but. I'm in terms of content complete. I think it is, um, and it has this interesting. Does it feel? Does it feel familiar to Skyrim? Like I know you said you make a
0: new character and there, are, you know, new things to do and see, and the assets are different. But like, is the core of it still the same? The core gameplay loop?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, a, a, the only thing that's different is mad. The magic system has been overhauled. So, I mean, you can't just, like, double lightning blast every enemy. Uh, (laughs) There's uh, a thing called Arcane Fever that goes up as you use magic, and you kind of need to manage that. Um, Because if your Arcane Fever gets too high, there are all these negative effects, and I think you eventually Ah, die. And there are certain areas that are full of mana, like mana pockets, where if you go into Mm -hmm. them, it raises your Arcane Fever. Um, You go full Palpatine. (laughs) Kind of um i think more you just super die um (laughs) okay but but, uh yeah it's it's interesting and so you know that it's a core gameplay mechanic that you're managing throughout and i and there's some interesting i'm not super far in it but it seems like there's an Mm -hmm. interesting bit of story around that arcane fever and you know what it's doing to the population of that continent um so it's 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 really neat it's extremely hard though because um oh sure like, like you don't get healing spells right away. And the way you learn spells is a little different, right? It's not like the celestial skill tree or whatever. It's you have to find books for that stuff. So you have to actually oh, well, quote I mean, unquote learn that's, it. That still exists
0: in, uh, in in Skyrim. Like you can you find a book that will teach you a spell.
1: Oh yeah, you're right. No, that's the way it's always been, right? You just can like yeah you get more damage and stuff through The leveling up is different. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, and as far as I've seen, that celestial stuff is not in Enderal. I think it's handled differently. Okay. Um,
0: is yeah. there any indication of like how long the game is? Like, is it a full standalone?
1: Like this, you could sink hundreds of hours into this. It looks like it. Um, Jeez, I mean, that's it, so it's to a me. big map with a lot of stuff to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've probably only sunk about four or five hours into it, and it is. <laughs> I. It is very difficult. Um, I've actually considered bringing it down to easy because mm-hmm. the, the enemies are just leveled a little higher, and mm-hmm. um, and the the loot that you get early on uh, is not great. So it's it's been a really really big struggle to get through some areas. I mean, I've only died once, but it's been a close shave many times. Um, and you know, I wouldn't say that Skyrim is the best feeling game to play in terms right. of combat, and this is no different. You know, it still has the base mechanics, so um but it's 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 really interesting. You know, obviously it's a mod, you can download it from their website and yeah. Um it launches separately. I've also started playing The Scourge on PS4, which is like um Robot Dark Souls. Like sure uh, sci-fi uh, dark souls. By the developers of Lords of the Fallen. Lords correct. of the Fallen, yeah. And I played about half of Lords of the Fallen. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it because I thought it was a little more accessible than something like Dark Souls. They streamlined some of the menu things. Actually, a lot of the menu parts felt a little Diablo-esque, but um, uh, they streamlined things and made it a little more user-friendly, which I appreciated. Um, I don't don't know that the bosses necessarily had the difficulty to them either, which is the whole big thing about Dark Souls, like the super difficult bosses. And, I mean, the ones in Lords of Fallen weren't easy, but they were, by no stretch of the imagination, a Dark Souls boss. Um, And it seems like this is very similar but the way it handles gear and upgrades and crafting and all that kind of stuff is is very different than lords of the fallen and um i've been enjoying it so far i mean i got to the first boss the big the first big boss i should say and mm-hmm. uh, i haven't beaten him yet i only tried it a few times and then i just haven't come back to it since but uh, i really am looking forward to going back and and jumping in because i don't not like the souls games i just always right. hit a wall somewhere um, and whether it's a boss or it's a super difficult area and then something, some other game comes along that I play instead. Did you play Bloodborne? Um, yes. No. For, okay. No, I watched, watched some, maybe I did. I really can't remember. <laughs> I, I know I, I've watched two whole playthroughs of that game. Okay. Um, And then I've seen a couple of my friends play certain bosses and like seen how their play styles are super different from each other and that's interesting but i don't i don't know that i've actually played bloodborne
0: yeah i mean for me like i totally appreciate the soul series and bloodborne and that genre of game it's just not for me like the the limited resources i have to play games now and the amount of games i want to play i just the the thought of banging my head against a wall for hours and hours and hours just to beat a single boss is just not what i'm looking for right but, I, like, the the world of The Scourge looked cool to me. Like, when it was first announced and I first saw a trailer, not knowing that it was Souls-esque, I was super interested. Yeah. And then once I saw, like, oh, it's by the people that made Lords of the Fallen, which I already heard was kind of, like, lesser Dark Souls, and then it was going to be very similar in
1: structure and combat, I was just like, nah, not really for me. Yeah, it has a lot of familiar elements for those types of games, but the combat, I think, is a little... Is tweaked in maybe a positive way where you're, you target individual body parts and sure. certain enemies are armored in certain areas and so yeah. you're targeting those body parts you know that aren't armored so you take them down faster and yada 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 it, you know it's it's neat um <laughs> and it's it's unsettling some of the things they do with some of the enemies and areas and okay. I, I, I think they. They do a good job with that Souls esque formula. I think they they do enough different to make them stand apart from the core games and all the kind of wannabe games. Uh, yeah. I, I would definitely put it in as like a B tier title, but uh, I think there's like you know like I talked about you know either last podcast or the, or the one before. I enjoy games where uh, the uh, the ambition and intent and creativity of the developer shines through and lords of the fallen and the scourge both have that in spades so um so yeah i mean i I highly recommend it if you're into those types of games obviously if you're not don't but if you're into those (laughs) kinds of games and you can get it on sale i would highly recommend it um but you know that's mostly what i've been playing uh i man um i've been reading a lot of star wars comics I th- hell yeah yeah I, I i think i'm finally completely caught up because well, i only buy trades i don't buy single issues i think right. i have every new canon star wars trade for star wars vader poe yeah. dameron star wars vader read, like, i have all the one read, off like the things. limited runs like yeah the lando, Leia, the lando Han, chewy. solo chewy uh, okay,
0: I haven't read the Han Solo one yet. Uh, that one's pretty that's one cool. of the I didn't one I didn't pick up. I I thought Leia was okay. I liked the Lando one.
1: The Chewbacca
0: one I did not enjoy particularly. Nah, I
1: think the Leia one was probably my least favorite just because I mm-hmm. thought her as a character was actually kind of annoying. Uh, I don't think okay. they wrote her very well. I liked the story concept around yeah. her because, like, the whole plot
0: is this is post Alderan being exploded, and so she's trying to go around and collect all the Alderanian people she can to right. try to reignite that culture. Uh, and so it just kind of the story kind of follows that, which I,
1: I liked. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I agree. I I I, I liked the narrative through line for that um, shattered empire. So, yes, the thing I, read I wanted that quite a while ago. Yeah, the thing that I wanted to touch Force on was awakens, wasn't it? Maybe. The thing I wanted to touch on with that is there's a character in Shattered Empire called the Emperor's what is it? Emperor's um uh god. It's they're in like a the red emperor's su- god. They're, no, they're they're in a red suit and they have that screen on their helmet that shows the emperor's face, the emperor's voice, is that what they're called? I don't recall. Or the, but the speaker I, I can, or something. I can picture what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, so that character's in Shattered Empire, and in the trailer for um, Battlefront Two's campaign, that uh-huh. character is in that campaign talking to the, oh, hey. the main chick. So that's, that's kind of neat. a cool tie-in. And so the whole deal with the Emperor's voice, I'm just going to call it the Emperor's voice because I can't remember the real name, um, that person or alien, whatever it may be, you know, it's under a mask, Uh, they go around giving orders to Imperials as if the Emperor were still alive and telling them to do certain things. Yeah. Uh, And so I have a feeling that's where the main antagonist chick from the Battlefront 2 campaign is going to be getting her orders from, is from this person pretending the Emperor is still alive. Uh, Well, and that was a Two two
0: thoughts on this, because that was a plot point or a similar plot point from, like, way back in the day, old Star Wars books before they erased all of that, where after the, you know, post-Return of the Jedi, the Emperor had cloned himself, or there was a clone of the Emperor that kind of took over the Empire and tried to keep the remnant around and kind of had seduced Luke to the dark side for a while. Uh, So that was, like, a big... Point that they explored in the book, so not surprised they're doing something a little similar in the new
1: canon. But yeah, also, I'm just like I'm the, not. I don't think there's going to be a clone. I think it's just someone using yeah, the yeah. Face. But
0: but just the the idea of like quote unquote the Emperor's is still around kind yeah. of a mentality. Um, but the the larger point, which I think is like a huge huge net positive for this new process of Star Wars, is that everything is canon. Everything ties into one another. Yeah, because that's something that really like the old stuff really suffered from and we'll see how they can maintain that moving forward once there are more and more and more pieces that need to keep stay together right but, um that was always it made the star wars stuff so new reader unfriendly because there were so many things that relied on other things and things that kind of contradicted with this other thing and it just made it really confusing even for someone as hardcore as i was to always know what mattered and what didn't totally. especially when you had like actual canon which was like george lucas approved canon then you had expanded universe canon and it was just like it was just messy and made it hard as a star wars fan to be able to keep up with everything so that i'm really excited about to see how they can continue to to use all of those pieces
1: uh, together yeah i agree and like the whole clone trope was used so many times in old canon like and and so I, i feel like that's why i and i think that's actually kind of a source of uh, a lot of the confusion in things and the contradictions that happened in old canon and so I think I, I think Disney's going to want to stay away from the whole clone bit yeah. um, for a little while maybe but yeah. I don't know we'll see so what about you? Oh man um,
0: well Going back to the Game of Thrones conversation uh, We are, have been re-watching Some of the recent seasons Just to prep for season 7 So we're currently watching through season 6 Which is now only the second time I've seen it And as like a book reader It's just really fun to go back and watch it uh, Having... Like no context For what was coming Like everything that was happening Was new and a surprise So that is just really fun To relive that It makes me excited For season 7 Because that will all be You know Completely brand new stuff as well Okay um, I also recently watched I've been trying to make A big effort to watch more movies And Redbox has actually Been a really good outlet for this Because we have one That's really close to our house And I mean you can rent um, it's like you can rent a DVD for like a buck fifty, Blu ray is like two dollars, and you just rent it for a night and bring it back, which is just su- such a cheap way to rent movies. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we have Netflix, we have Hulu, we have, have, have Amazon Prime, and so they have a lot of uh, things available on there. But when it comes to like really recent stuff, um, you can't always find them on Netflix, for example. So, right. um, recently rented The Magnificent Seven. Uh, starring Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt's uh, yeah, how remake was that? of an old 60s Western. It was good. I really enjoyed it. It okay. wasn't like amazing when it comes to kind of the Western action movies, um, it wasn't like super special, but it was a really good time. And I watched that shortly after watching The Great Wall, which is a recent Matt Damon <laughs> movie. It takes place in in, I can't remember if it's China or Japan, but. It's like the Great Wall was was made... Yeah, you're right, because it's the Great Wall of China. I'm a fucking idiot. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, the whole concept is the Great Wall of China was uh, built to keep out this, like, alien horde that attacks China every 60 years. And so, like, there's this whole army that exists to repel them. And Matt Damon, and also also Pedro Pascal, who, uh, if you don't know who that is, he played um, Oberyn Martell on Game of Thrones. And also is one of the leads on the phenomenal Netflix show, narcos but he's in it as well as uh, matt damon's buddy and they come in from spain and kind of discover this plot and this kind of defensive war that's happening so they kind of get embroiled in everything and, and uh trying to help these guys out and it, that movie was a mess it was just
1: <laughs> it like really was. visually
0: because yeah the, the chinese director who, who did it he uh directed the movie hero and uh i believe house of flying daggers years and years ago and those are just like phenomenal chinese action movies Um, Lots of, like, awesome sword fighting and just great visuals, great plays with color and scale and kind of, like, the splendor of these, like, ancient Chinese times. And all of that still exists in the Great Wall, but, like, the story of it and really just the concept itself is just... Real, real bad. It's a bad so That time. movie was not good, but after that, I watched Magnificent Seven, and that was kind of a, like a nice, like, oh, you know, there's not much to this movie, Palette but at least it's Fun, yeah, for sure. <laughs> cool, yeah. I have yeah.
1: Magnificent Seven ready to watch, and I think my girlfriend yeah, and I yeah, to yeah, watch yeah. it pretty Definitely soon. Definitely recommend it, like especially if you
0: like westerns and like modern takes on yeah. it. And I mean, Chris Chris Pratt's great in it. He's just super charming. Um, but also recently watched the new quote-unquote live-action Beauty and the Beast. And um, that movie's real bad, like real, real bad. There is literally no reason for that movie to exist. And I came to that realization after because I watched it with my wife. We were both excited about it because it obviously made a fuck-ton of money. It's like top ten all-time grossing, which seems bizarre considering it's a remake. Some people might say too much money well yeah sure but like a lot of people came down on both sides of the fence a lot of people really loved it and a lot of people really didn't like it but a lot of friends that I have enjoyed it especially people that are involved in like the entertainment community so I was like oh cool I'm, I'm excited to see like how they've changed some of the songs what the transition to live action has done for a lot of like the characters and the visuals and turns out not much because fucking everything in that movie is CG and green screen and bullshit and it looks terrible and Emma Watson is so boring in that movie. No she personality. Really? She sounds like a robot when she sings because uh. it's very clear. Like, and I'm, like I'm not saying any of this to, like poke fun or being mean. I'm just giving like criticism about it. It just it was very clear that they produced her vocal tracks a lot after the fact, sure. which I think just choke. Like, she's probably not that strong of a singer. She certainly could carry a tune, but like no emotion or. Really, breath support to her singing. And so they just had to manipulate it a lot. And it's like she sounds like a robot. Like it sounds like it's been auto tuned. And it's just totally flies mm. in the face of the story and the world of that universe. And like there were a couple new songs, a couple new scenes, just none of them really added any value. And just like after watching it, I looked over at my wife and I was just like, there's literally no reason for this movie to exist. Nothing they did new was good. And none of the stuff they recreated. Was as good or better than in the animated version. What did like, she have to say to, about it? I mean, she, she agreed with me. It was okay. just like, we just felt like we wasted our time watching it. And like, and I am glad, sort of, I'm glad that I watched it just because I feel like as someone who loves the original and cares about quote unquote musicals in movie form i think that it's like an important thing that helps you know keep a lot of my friends working yeah (laughs) like in the musical theater world right uh i'm glad that i watched it but it just was was not good um but yeah i mean those quick quick hot takes on some 2016 movies Or i guess (laughs) the great wall the great wall i think came out this year
1: i think it uh, did yeah
0: if you're interested in reading more of my thoughts, uh, I have reviews for those on, on my website, ShayHitsEverything.com, so you can check those out. Um, but beyond that, uh, I've been rewatching Parks and Rec. That show's just fucking phenomenal. And it sucks because when I originally watched it uh, when it first came out, I really wanted to give it a try. Because I was a huge fan of The Office And a huge fan of Greg Daniels Who's one of the co-creators And Michael Schur Who was an executive producer on The Office And those two kind of teamed up To make Parks and Rec I really like Amy Poehler I think that she's You know A uh, really important uh, female presence both in the comedy world and also societally kind of like as a big push for feminism in entertainment and we definitely need a lot of those like leaders and I think she's a really good one of those yeah, I so agree. I wanted to support the show but I watched the first season and I was just like this isn't good I don't like it it's not funny I don't like a lot of the characters and it felt so derivative of the office like it's the same kind of mockumentary style it has the same semi-lovable but embarrassing main character and like even the supporting cast felt very familiar it didn't really feel that unique. And, I mean, it takes place in rural Indiana, which, you know, we were both born in Indiana. And I, it's a special place in my heart. And they poke fun at the state a lot and kind of the Hicksville attitude a lot, which I didn't always appreciate. Um, but so, so when I first watched it, I kind of wrote it off, didn't go back to it. And then uh, once I started working with uh, some other people in the Atlanta area, they were saying really good things about it. And this was... I think it was like after season six had aired, so the show was almost over. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll go back and watch it. Went and re the first season, still didn't like it, but I decided, you know, I'm just going to push through, started watching through season two, still wasn't super into it, and then they made a huge casting change where kind of the, the main male character and the love interest for Amy Polar's character left the show, and they brought on two new characters, one played by Rob Lowe and the other played by Adam Scott uh, of um Party Down fame I fucking love Adam Scott and so I was excited to see those two on the show and they just really really just reinvigorated the life of the show And season three had this really awesome overarching storyline where they were kind of trying to save their parks and rec department through this big harvest festival. And it really gave a good opportunity for all the characters to really come together and work together against this kind of outside force of this budget deficit. And uh, I just really enjoyed that arc of the show. And really from there on out, just the show, it's, it's so, so good. And it just sucks that the first season was not good and then even the most of the second season it was really struggling to build its legs and I feel like that kind of contributed to the show always being a little under the radar Um, and I know like almost every season they didn't know whether or not they were going to be renewed and that just i imagine is really tough on the people working on the show to not know if you're going to have a job next year every season but it also kind of created this underdog mentality for the people on the show that really translated to the characters on the show because that's who they are like they're they're a bunch of you know this group of misfit underdogs kind of trying to make the best of this bad situation and uh i just think that it really comes together really really well Those are really long thoughts on a show that ended like four years ago, but fucking love Parks and Rec. And uh, as yet another plug for my website, I have a a ranking of all the seven seasons. Pretty obvious that season one came out in last place (laughs) from what I'm saying, (laughs) but um, just a really fun read. And especially if you have seen bits of the show or want to check it out, I think it's a good read because it kind of tells you a little bit of where the story goes throughout. And I just I can't speak highly enough of. The way that that show goes, and especially what it does for the relationships of the characters, uh, too often in modern sitcoms, and it's been a, a problem going back decades, is that you know the male characters a lot of times get the spotlight. And the female characters kind of serve as their love interests and their support systems and don't often get stories of their own. And I think Parks and Rec does a phenomenal job of flipping the script on that, not only by having the main character be a female character, but really highlighting the other female characters in the office, giving them their own storylines and making their success kind of a priority and something that you want to invest in. So I just think it's a really important show for uh, people that are looking for more um kind of a a female-centric voice on television. So now that I've talked about freaking Parks and Rec for 20 minutes, um, I guess the only other game that I've been playing, in addition to Horizon Zero Dawn, um, I played through the first episode of Telltale's Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, how was that? Um, I didn't care for it, honestly. And it makes me sad because I love... I loved uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Loved the second one as well. Yeah, me too. And I really liked that cast of characters. They were never, like, my thing in the comic book universe. But, like, I knew of them and I'd read some of the comics. um, And I've gotten a little more into it since falling in love with the characters in the movies. Uh, And I'm also... You know, I'm a fan of Telltale's games. I think that they have a lot of problems when it comes to the technical side that hold back some of their games. Uh, and certainly from a workflow perspective, they I think they just work on too many projects. They have too many things coming out, and they all follow a very similar structure. So yeah. it's really hard to like pick and choose what I want to play. But because it was Guardians of the Galaxy, I wanted to check it out. And uh, I was just really unimpressed. I, I think that um comedy is a phenomenally hard thing to get right in video games because comedy is so dependent on timing and when you take the timing out of the hands of the joke deliverer and put it in the hands of the audience that makes it really hard for a joke to flow well yes uh and and i think there have been very few games that have nailed it i think south Park's secret truth is a good example of a game that did nail it uh and guardians of the galaxy does not Nailed that. That's a bummer. Um, I actually, I've yeah, yeah.
1: heard um, from multiple people that their Tales from the Borderlands series is actually really funny and good.
0: Tales from the Borderlands was great. Yeah. It was great. So that's a shame. It. One of my favorite one, games from that year. Well, at
1: yes. least the first episode of this kind of falls a little flat. Right. And, and the
0: second one is out. I have it. I haven't played it yet. I will play it soon because I want to kind of keep. Like I will. I will. After playing the first episode, like I'm not interested. I'm kind of done. But I'm I'm willing to play through the second episode just to give it another chance. Uh, and we'll see how that goes, but uh, I definitely will play that soon. Partially because I want to talk about it on the podcast. Partially, I don't want to like if I wait any longer, I will just give up. So I need to go ahead and play it. <laughs> right. Uh, so I, like, I, I want it to improve. I I haven't really seen anything online to make me feel like it has improved with the second episode. Um, but we'll see what happens. It's just I don't know. It it definitely bummed me out after playing it. I, I had a lot higher expectations than they were able to deliver. So
1: yeah, that's that's a that's a bummer. But yeah, maybe they'll maybe it'll. Uh, have an upswing for the second episode who knows right and i mean their stuff has
0: been fairly inconsistent i think a lot of their stuff's been really good i mean the first season of walking dead was awesome wolf among us was awesome tales from the borderlands was awesome but they've had a lot of stuff that didn't hit me as hard i know the second season of game of thrones i wasn't not game of thrones but uh walking dead i wasn't super interested and like the one the game of thrones series they put out i didn't really think was all that great i know you stopped playing it after the first episode
1: yeah, because the character that I cared about immediately died at the end of the right. first episode. And so right. I was like, well, I mean, it's yes. another one of these. This just reinforces yeah. <laughs> my opinion about the show. Yeah. I mean, you can't blame it for following a similar structure, but no. it's one of those, like, if you didn't like it here, you're not going to like it here. Exactly. And, I, you know, yeah. I I tried it. I gave it yes. its due. Um, yeah, for sure. And, Absolutely. you know, like I'm partway through the Batman Telltale series. I just, I need Completely to finish it. Yeah, forgot about that. Yeah. And like, I, I liked it. I thought it was mm-hmm. pretty cool. I just haven't mm-hmm. gone back to it for some reason. Um, yeah, I still, I
0: definitely mean to play that. I have that, and I also have their Minecraft series. Yeah, that's a good uh, one. The, the Minecraft in particular, because uh, Ke- Kelly and my wife, she doesn't play. A lot of games. Uh, One of the few games that she enjoys playing with me co op is Minecraft, but she also likes watching the Telltale games and like the kind of more adventure game style. She watched me play through both seasons of Walking Dead and uh, she watched me play through Game of Thrones as well. And so, like, Minecraft's one that I've been saving because uh, I know she's going to want to watch through it with me because it's Minecraft and it's Telltale. So it's just one of those where like we haven't taken the time to sit down together and play through it, but I definitely will. And I know Patton
1: Oswalt plays the main character, and yes. I love Patton Oswalt, so... He does a nice job. I'm definitely excited for that. They actually they, they have a lot of um, uh, of voice actors that do a nice job in that one. I think that one's a little better than it has any right to be, than it should be. Sure. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm excited. They've announced a second season for it, so cool. I'll go ahead and pick that up. But they... Um, So, because I used to do a video game website thing, and so I have an email address that gets sent all these news and stuff, and I occasionally would get free copies of games and all that. And Telltale is actually a developer or a publisher that still sends me free copies of their seasons. So I recently got a free copy of Walking Dead New Frontier. um, Right. Since that has concluded. And so I have that downloaded, and it's on my computer. I need to play through it. Because you know, I beat season two, and I'm a little more heavily invested in, um, <laughs> well, that sounds like a dumb thing to say now that I can't remember her name, um, the Clementine. Clementine, thank you. I knew it was a fruit. Um, well, and you're a big Walking Dead fan as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely more so the comics, but yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to check out New Frontier and see what's up with that. But yeah, so I have Batman New Frontier, and that makes me a little sad about Guardians of the Galaxy, but... I'm under the impression that I might never have to buy another Telltale game. (laughs) So I'm just going to wait on all their games and see if I can get them until they realize, like, wait, this guy's not writing writing about our games anymore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Then you should just forward it to me. I'll write about it. Yeah. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, there's a, a good wrap up of everything we've been playing, watching, reading. Uh, So, I guess we're going to move on to talking about some E3 games while it's still relevant. So, first on the list, we want to talk about the Microsoft Press Conference. And, obviously, the biggest part of that was the official unveiling of the Xbox One X. And uh, I need to make sure I, uh, like, uh, enunciate well when I'm talking (laughs) about that. Xbox One X. But um, we obviously have opinions on that. But I feel like... Those opinions are also informed by a lot of the games that were shown. So we'll wait and talk about the actual console at the very end. But um, as far as the games shown goes, the first piece was 4-7. I think it was obvious for them to not only announce the game, but also showcase it on the Xbox One X. Racing games are a very easy technical showpiece because there just isn't as much going on. So it's so simple to focus on. Dem cars look good (laughs) and showing some nice wet roads like oh yeah them wet roads and them cars yeah (laughs) this one loves slop she eats up the slop she eats it (laughs)
1: she's a mutter she's She's, born to slop (laughs) her mutter was a mutter
0: (laughs) her mother was a mutter father was a mutter uh, but as far as the actual game goes, I know both you and I aren't like super hardcore into the racing genre. I know you are more interested in need for speed payback, but like any opinion specifically on Forza seven, I think it is good for the fans. <laughs> fans of the genre will enjoy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my bigger piece was, and this is kind of talking about the the system in general. I totally get why they showed, showed that game first. Um, it was more just like there wasn't enough other stuff. Like, right. yes, Forza 7 looks awesome on Xbox One X. And they kind of showed, not at the conference, but afterwards, they've shown some comparison between it running on an S and running on an X. And it's it's obvious. It really highlights just how good games look on the X. Um, but, like, as far as a system justification... That being the big showpiece, I'm not sure it was totally there. No. Um, the other, the other big kind of X showcase was Crackdown Three, which they announced I think a couple yeah. of years ago, and now just like I'm
1: finally really talking about it. You're, you're excited for it? Yeah. So like I have semi-fond memories of the first Crackdown, just playing it with one of my friends. Um, yeah. And I, I think Terry Crews is great, and it's like <laughs> this is, for, for, honestly, it's the only way they could have gotten me to buy Crackdown Three. Was to have Terry Crews in the game and they put him in the game. And I, I'd like, it's just, it's ridiculous that Terry Crews is the main protagonist of a video game. But of course right. he's the main protagonist of a video game. So I don't know. I, yeah, like, and, and- I just, it, I think it looks like a lot of silly fun. And you know, it looks great, it looks like true to that graphical style that they established in the past couple games um and so you know i think there's going to be an audience for that
0: and i was kind of surprised i didn't feel like the graphics looked all that impressive and i know the the destructibility and the scale is more of the selling point especially on the x sure but like i think kind of that more cell shaded look and i know it's consistent with the earlier games but it almost feels like a bit of a cop-out like they knew with other stuff going on they couldn't make it look as good as maybe they wanted it to and so they're kind of falling back on this more stylized look and that's just like totally gut feel i'm based on nothing but i just feel like this whole rhetoric of the xbox one x is the most powerful console ever Like, first of all, fucking duh. Almost every console that has ever come out has been the most powerful console when it comes out. That's the whole point. Up until this point, the PS4 Pro has been the most powerful console. Like, that, duh. But kind of on a larger scale, I still feel like... The fact that it is a console, it is a plug-and-play device, you don't have to be a PC expert to use it, I think is great. I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But I think the larger thing is it really highlights that even with these crazy, you know, teraflops and processors and all these other terms that I don't under- fully understand, uh, games aren't going to look as good on a console as they will on a PC. Cause even right. like, if you look at crackdown three on, on an X versus running on a high end PC, it's still like nowhere close. Yeah. And I just feel like to constantly chase this PC mentality,
1: I feel like some mistake. I don't know. I totally my agree. Um, I mean, they should like, They should absolutely be uh, riding the coattails of the PC gaming community in terms of hardware and everything, but that should not be their push. Like, that shouldn't be their marketing strategy is, oh, look, we're almost as powerful as a PC. Like, that doesn't get you anywhere, right? Right. So, and all it does is earn you, like, derision from the PC community, uh, which is an awful community anyways. But um, (laughs) And, like, you know, it's it's expensive like yes you can Mm -hmm. go out and say most you know powerful console whatever buzzword buzzword but like that's a lot of money when you compare it to the ps4 pro and they like they don't bother with exclusives at microsoft anymore it feels like right and any exclusive they do have are play anywhere so you can just fucking buy it on pc where it runs better like that's what i did with gears of war 4 i didn't buy it on my xbox one I bought it on my PC because it runs really, really well. I didn't want some shitty version that looked nice but was capped at 30. I want a version that looks nice and runs unlimited frames. Like,
0: And I mean, for someone like me, like I have a PC. I can play games on my PC. It's certainly not powerful. And so for me, I also like the simplicity of console. So if I have an option, I want to play it on a console. So like, if I had an Xbox One... I would want to play the Xbox games on an Xbox One, not on a PC. I'm fine giving up some of the graphical fidelity and, like, some of the uh, optional support, like, mods and stuff like that for the simplicity of it. But I don't feel like I'm representative of, like, a significant portion of gamers that have both. Because that's really the, the, the core of what we're talking about. And, like, people that own a PS4 and have a PC or just have a PC... I feel like most of those people, if given the option, will play on PC because it looks so much better. Like, if you're going to invest in that system and it's so fucking expensive to have a good PC, you're going to want to use it as much as possible. It just seems like a weird strategy if you're trying to sell consoles to have all these games be available on PC. I think from a consumer perspective, it's amazing. Like, huge props to them from a consumer perspective of letting people... like, Like, theoretically, I could play basically every game that Microsoft is going to put out without having to buy their console like that's awesome for me I don't see how that's awesome for Microsoft it doesn't make me feel invested in your community and your like mindset of being an Xbox gamer. Like, I am a PC gamer who is also playing some Microsoft games. It just seems weird to me. Yeah. But I feel like at the core of it, I think Phil Spencer does care about gamers. I really like him. And the bigger thing is like, I'm not a business expert when it comes to this. And I have to imagine that people much smarter than me are making this decision with some kind of plan. It's more just like, I don't get the plan right now and therefore, why are you Like, one, why did you put out the Xbox One S? And two, why are you now putting out this more powerful Xbox One X that's, like, almost PC level? Like, who is it for, really? I don't get who it's for.
1: I feel like Microsoft, just because, like, the general sense that I get from them, you know, they're no longer Sony versus Microsoft. Like, they've completely eliminated that kind of language from any public face uh, that they have. And I, I feel like this is almost a stopgap measure... Towards, like maybe Microsoft just doesn't do consoles anymore. They do some sort of in-house PC, like pre-built PCs kind of thing with mm-hmm. a more console-like user interface. Um, hmm. That that's the sense of what I like. That's my theory towards like what they're moving towards is some sort of a right. console PC hybrid, where it's you get the benefit and ease of use of the user interface in a console but also the feature set and the power of a pc and i feel like this is maybe a step in that direction as well as you know their whole play anywhere thing they just want people to be able to play their games and yeah, sure like that's why because otherwise that marketing strategy doesn't make sense other than just straight <laughs> goodwill with your consumer yeah, base yeah um, because otherwise yeah. that marketing strategy doesn't make sense and a lot of the language around the Xbox One X has been a little confusing, just in terms of whether or not they actually want you to buy this thing. I feel <laughs> and like even Phil Spencer, like I've seen some things where I was like, "Yeah, it's probably not for everyone," which like that's and, and fair no, of that. him. Like, that, that's fair of him to say. The,
0: it yes, it, it, it like that's the truth, absolutely. Yeah. And I like I appreciate the honesty of that, but it still doesn't answer the question of like, okay, but then why? Like, yeah, and then why I, like, do I, it? I, Right. I Like, I have heard that their Elite controller has done well. Like, they've sold a lot of them. It's, like, that super crazy customizable $150 controller sure. that is a very niche thing. And I think, like, if that's their attitude with the Xbox One X is this is a very niche thing for people that are looking for this very specific experience, it just seems weird that they're pushing it so hard. Like, yeah. why why are they not talking as much about the S? Like, that, if that's their go-forward platform is the Xbox One S... Why aren't they marketing that as like as the primary platform? It feels like the X is what they're marketing as their primary platform. And that definitely doesn't make sense from a financial perspective because the thing's so fucking expensive that it takes away a huge amount of potential sales. And two, like from a usability perspective, I'm not seeing the value. like as someone who lives outside of the Xbox ecosystem right now, I am not seeing the value from a software perspective of buying an S much less spending twice as much to get an I agree. An X. I 110% yeah.
1: I still have my original Xbox 1 and like I that thing has been in a drawer for months and months and months and I finally yeah. after years and years let my gold subscription drop because I just don't play that. You're just game. not using it. Yeah, yeah, and like you know like I said, I got uh Dead Rising 4 and Gears of War 4 on my PC and I play them and they run great. And for like yeah. for me it's maybe not necessarily about the change in graphical fidelity, it's about frame rate for me because, mm. like, like I said before, you know, I was playing Dishonored 2. Uh, I think I might have said this last episode, but like it was giving me a headache on PS4 because the frame yeah. rate was so low in areas. So on the Steam sale today, Dishonored 2 is $20 on the Steam sale. So I went ahead and bought it on the Steam sale. I still have my <laughs> PS4 copy, but like I, right. I want to play it where I'm not going to get a fucking headache playing it. And, um, and, and like, I don't know, because that Xbox One X, that honestly might be slightly more powerful than my current PC, but it's not $500 more powerful, you know? Sure. And Yeah, like, I mean, if
0: you already have something that's doing close to the job, why invest in something new? Exactly. Which is really, like, the core problem with the Xbox One X in the first place. right? Like, if, if, if I'm someone that owns an S, and I can buy an X for $500, and all it's going to do is make my games look better... You know, some might be significantly better, but the vast majority—the multi-platform games and the smaller games—there's not going to be a huge amount of difference because they have to develop for the lowest common denominator. Like, why am I going to spend $500 for that? It just seems weird. But again, we're not business experts, and I do want to like highlight because we're still new in this podcasting thing with you know our, our listeners. Both you and I tend to fall down on the Sony side of things. We've been in that ecosystem longer. Yeah, like I, I owned a I owned a three sixty. I know you did as well. And we certainly want both to succeed because it's only good for the industry. We tend to fall in line more with Sony's software offerings. We like those games more typically. But I do want to highlight I, I want to highlight that because obviously it gives our uh, a sense of perspective. But also say to not be on the fanboy side. Like I do not see value in the PS Four Pro either. Like, no, I, me that neither. is not like uh, unless I, I you're have, doing I, PSVR. Sure, absolutely, one hundred percent. But I mean, that's a whole other point. I'm not taking a ton of value in the PSVR either, <laughs> <So> <laughs> right? When, like, when you like, have like, <laughs> like
1: a Rift or the Oculus yeah, available, yeah. Or, or, or
0: just in general, because yeah. like, and I I haven't seen it. I, I'm willing to give it a try, but. uh you know, I've heard the the software experiences aren't as robust as you would expect. It's obviously still an, an expensive peripheral to add, and when you compare it to the offerings available on something like an Oculus, uh, like from a, a fidelity perspective, the PS Four is the the VR comes nowhere near that. So it's just kind of right. those like middle tier things of like, if I'm going to spend that money, why not just spend a couple of hundred extra dollars? But I feel like we have a lot of thoughts on current state of consoles and pc and vr yeah, maybe so maybe that's like best this saved is a whole other later. topic yes yes so um kind of walking through just really quickly now some of the other big hitters from the microsoft conference uh they showed off some more gameplay of sea of thieves which i think looks really cool it's nice to see rare back making rare style games um i don't know the answer to this but i'm curious like how many of the legit rare people there are still there i don't know in leadership because they, they've been out of the limelight for so long, working on just shitty connect games, that it's kind of like, is this really still the Rare that we know and love? Um, but what I've seen of CFDs certainly looks fun. We both love pirates, which is great. Um, the kind of uh, exploratory nature of the game that they seem to be making is awesome. Uh, it seems a little simple to me. Like, the actual mechanics of the game, the combat, moving around, it all feels a little geared towards a younger audience um, but like I'm certainly willing to give it a try
1: I I just I definitely think uh, there are some core gameplay loop features that uh, are missing or have not been shown like you know what do you do with the treasure? You now I hear you upgrade the ship, but yeah. if you lose your yeah. ship when it goes down, do the upgrades stay? Like is that your ship that spawns every time, or like what's going? Is on? there
0: is there really like an overarching story to this, or like a narrative story mode to this game? Right, or is it totally just open. Yeah, I definitely don't have the answers yeah. to those. So
1: the, you know, those are questions that I think need to be answered for people before anyone can. You answered in in some capacity before sure. people can really start committing to. The purchase. I mean, I know some people that are like, yeah, totally getting that, but right now I'm still like a 60-40, get it, not get it. Uh, right. Because I, I want to know a little more about it, uh, the experience, and what they think is worth the player's time. So, And
0: then, uh, also on the Microsoft exclusive, or at least timed exclusive, is uh, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, coming to the Xbox One, has only been on PC. They have made statements and they being... Um, people behind PUBG have come out and said like oh this is coming to ps4 it's a timed exclusive they're not talking about it right now as far as i believe uh but that is at least for a time being an exclusive to the xbox have you you've played this yes on pc uh i just got it like uh, a couple days ago Um, obviously it's been a huge hit in the giant bomb community of both you know we both subscribe to that i've watched a bunch of videos on it I am not good at shooters on PC. The mouse and keyboard has never been my thing, so it's not really something I'm looking at. If it comes to console, if it comes to PS4, I will 100% check it out, but uh, not really my thing. But definitely cool that it's coming to console, and that game has been a huge, huge hit, making a shit ton of money. And I'm sure that will only increase on Xbox and then PS4. I got uh, Um, number
1: six this morning. Nice. Then, oh, yeah. and you, I mean, if you're new, yeah. that's, that's and pretty And just a good. little bit ago, my buddy and I were doing duos, and we got number four. So Baller. Getting real close to that chicken dinner, Close man. to that chicken
0: dinner. <laughs> uh, another game that was announced there, and I should have checked on this before we started, was uh, Super Lucky's Tale. I'm not sure. Is that an exclusive? Are you aware? I don't know. Uh, I mean, that, that sucks. We, uh, we'll have to look into that. And Maybe, I mean, if you... Are listening and have the answer to that, you can write in a correction to info at everything com. Send us an email. But uh, Super Lucky's Tale, that is a you know, it's it seems like a very retro style three uh, D platformer in the vein of something like Banjo Kazooie or the recent Ukulele. Um, I have a lot of opinions on Ukulele. You can find a, a review on my site about it. Um, I was very underwhelmed with the way that game came out. It may be specific to that game, but the larger question is do 3D platformers still have a place in modern gaming? Um, So, like, I thought Super Lucky Sale looked really cute. Uh, Like, I'm curious to see more and see, like, kind of what the the story of it is. It's certainly, you know, a fun mascot platformer. It's more just like, even if done well, will it still be good? It's kind of that question that's up in the air that, you know, I was really excited before Ukulele came out for this kind of thing to return because I was a huge Spyro person, big Crash Bandicoot person, obviously still a big Ratchet & Clank person, although that's, more of a third person action platformer um but like i still like i had a thirst for a mascot platformer like that but ukulele has really kind of turned me off from the idea of it so i mean i'm curious to see more Uh, what are your thoughts on on that yeah i mean
1: i've i haven't gotten ukulele yet i'm waiting till it comes out on switch which is still planned but no date on it sure um just because i think that's a good platform for that type of genre um yeah and, and you know i'm seen some pretty mixed stuff you know I've heard from you about it and some other people and so I'm kind of reserving judgment until I can get my hands on them but uh, you know I definitely think if all that they really have to it is a collectathon that's occasionally a little rough then maybe you know that formula doesn't hold up anymore because it's um, has been worn down with time but if you know yeah. they, I think maybe Super Lucky's Tale they find some way to learn from um, you know the shortcomings of that formula in the past, and they can introduce mm-hmm. a couple more modern, you know, ease of access, ease of life, uh, user interface things, or you know, who who knows? Like I, I very much think that genre still has a place, but not mm-hmm. as it was. It definitely has to
0: evolve. Absolutely, and that that was one of the problems with ukulele is it felt too made for the fans of that genre. Like, I felt too beholden to the style of those games as they used to be and didn't iterate enough for kind of a modern sensibility of how people play games. So hopefully Super Lucky's Tale can learn from both the old games and Ukulele's mistakes and kind of progress forward. It's it's obviously, having seen what they showed, way too early to tell one way or the other. But um, at least it made me interested. And the character, Lucky, he looks cute so yeah right that's all that matters really one of the other um quote-unquote big um games that was announced there that's an exclusive was ori and the will of the wisps and i say big in quotes because it's obviously more of an indie style game but uh ori had um a huge following and uh had a lot of success and people's you know raving about it i own it but haven't played it um i know graphically the game is absolutely gorgeous and Uh, gameplay wise it was like surprisingly brutal considering kind of the story
1: of it and the visuals of it um so did you did you play through the first one uh no i I watched my friend play the vast majority of it i um yeah i'm there are a set number of 2d platformers that i can play in a given (laughs) year and i hit that limit very quickly every year um, yeah. and I there there are a lot
0: of quality 2D
1: platformers nowadays. Yeah, and I just get so burnt out on them. And you know, this it, it looked charming and fun, and like it had a lot to offer for fans of that genre. But I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not all that into it. Um, I, I know I know the big beats of the story of the first one, and think right. that's a nice, heart wrenching and um, heartfelt story. But yeah, that's I I. Bet you people will really like it.
0: <laughs> and I mean, like, I one hundred percent want to get to *Orion the Blind Forest* at some point because of everything people have said about it, and um, like, I'm curious to see it. It's just one of those like I didn't check it out at the time, too many other things going on. But the trailer that they showed for *Will of the Wisps* was absolutely stunning and looks super depressing. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, two of the other games, and I I don't remember now if these were shown at the conference or not, they've been announced in years past, Cuphead and Tacoma. Um, both are like really high up on my most anticipated list. Cuphead they announced a couple years ago. It at least at the time was being made just by two dudes who were, like hand animating everything. It's a very like old school um like forties, fifties, um, like Looney Tunes Disney style of animation. Uh, Like the the old Mickey Mouse cartoons Which really really appeals to me And the dichotomous nature of the actual Gameplay because it's like a really Hardcore side-scrolling action uh platformer which i thought was really cool and the original conceit was it was just boss battles it was like taking only the boss battles from these side-scrolling games and that was the whole game but i think they've since expanded kind of the scope and the team of the game and so there are actual regular levels regular enemies in between to kind of make a more complete experience and that has obviously made the game consistently be delayed and delayed and delayed but i'm pretty sure they're still aiming for a 2017 release date um, I'm sure I'm going to get my ass kicked at that game. I'm not great at the side-scrolling platformers anymore. I just don't have the reflexes I used to. Yeah. But super excited for that one.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've not seen anything else like it ever. So I'm, I'm yeah, really, I'm really sure. excited to you know, see what, what new things they're bringing to it. And that'll probably be like my one 2D platformer for the year that I play. (laughs) Right. And then um, also, I know they showed
0: this off the show floor. I don't remember if they had it at the conference, but Tacoma, which is made by uh, Fulbright, the makers of Gone Home, which is one of the most like arresting video game experiences I've ever had in my entire life. I compare it a lot to my experience playing Journey as just one of those like, I've just never seen... Story and character and world done in a way like this. And obviously, Journey and and Gone Home are very different kinds of games, but just like memories, like while I was playing it. I knew that it was an experience I would remember for the rest of my life. And so Tacoma is kind of the follow-up to Gone Home takes place in space. And you're kind of exploring this derelict space station and learning about um, the inhabitants that used to be there. And figuring out like, oh, something went a little wrong here. And kind of figuring out um, how everything happened. And just purely on um, the pedigree of Fulbright alone, I'm interested. The space setting makes me even more interested uh, so I'm I cannot freaking wait to play that game. Yeah,
1: I think it's really interesting. Um I so I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of that uh, you know more adventure game, quote unquote, walking yeah. simulator. I so yes, I hate simulator. that term. Um yeah. I definitely think there's plenty there to um you know plenty of directions for that genre to go that are exciting and the way it might bleed mm-hmm. over into other more um commonplace or mainstream uh genres i think is is uh for for the better um i have not played gone home but i've played many games similar to it now the one thing i'm concerned about with tacoma is like they've gone back through and like rebuilt that game from the bottom up because they weren't happy with it so that has me a little nervous like i'm so i'm a little on the fence about it um, yeah, I feel like and that, that's definitely like a valid fear. I feel
0: like with that team in particular, I, I think that because their stories are so personal, like that, that's not a warning sign to me, like in this specific instance with a lot of games, it would be, okay. but knowing their process behind gone home, at least for me personally, I, like, I only feel like the game will come out better because of what they did. Yeah.
1: And you know, that's absolutely a possibility. And I really hope that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know it comes out August second on Steam. I don't know when yes. it's planned to come out on consoles, but um.
0: yeah, and that that is one that, in addition to Cuphead, will be on PC and console exclusivity with Xbox One. Right. Right. Which sucks because, like, obviously, I would rather play on a console, but. I'm not buying an Xbox just to play a couple indie games, <laughs> right? So, I mean, who knows? I I go back and forth on like if I can justify to my wife getting a new console for Christmas. You know, it's like, do I get an Xbox One so I can play something like Sunset Overdrive and play Gears Four and not have to worry about playing some of that stuff on PC moving forward, or do I get a Switch where I can only play those games on a Switch? It's just it's it's a tough conversation. Yeah, but I, I agree. um, one one of the they also highlighted a couple games at the microsoft conference that are not exclusives and i was a little annoyed at some of the language they use like me too world premiere console exclusive blah blah and it just it feels like lying and manipulating language that i really don't appreciate it just was so yeah i mean that i definitely do not care for but the actual games themselves um they showed the new life is strange game which i didn't at the time realize uh, know that this is not being developed by don't nod the uh, makers of the first game right. they're working on the um, actual sequel the season 2 i guess you would say so this life is strange before the storm is made, made, being made by a different developer obviously in hand with don't nod but this is a prequel focuses on not alex but the other character my can't not remember her name oh, but, chloe um uh, yes thank you chloe before she went super punk rock <laughs> yeah. so it's kind of the story of like the, the the things that led up to the first season i fucking loved the first season of life is strange I'm glad. One of my favorite games that came out this year um it's got off to a bit of a slow start and there were certainly some like awkward writing moments where it definitely felt like this is a bunch of 40 year old dudes writing for teenage characters yeah. that felt a little forced but on the whole like the 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 structure of the story was so well done even though i thought the kind of eventual reveal of who the bad guy was was a little obvious um i I just i thought the whole the the whole journey was just super phenomenal Uh, another great example of uh that um telltale structure that adventure games uh, episodic structure being done right and the iterative nature of it improving on what telltale has done i thought was really impressive so i mean i'm even knowing that it's not Don't Nod, I'm super looking forward to Before the Storm. Yeah,
1: the the other thing that I'm kind of like eh, about it is um, Ashley Birch did the voice acting for Chloe in the uh, first okay. season, because of the voice actors strike going on at the time, she is yes. not yes. coming back to reprise her role as Chloe, which right. is a little weird and makes me really sad because I'm a big Ashley Burch fan. I think she's, uh, you know, she has done a lot of positive work for you know, inclusivity and in video games and stuff. Um and yeah, I think she's a right like I didn't I
0: know she used to be like a YouTube person, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, more or less. Um she, she had yeah, a I remember sketch you talking show. about her years ago. Yeah.
0: Okay, sure, sure. Um like I wasn't super familiar with her. I'd, you know, heard of her obviously, but uh she also did Aloy in Horizon
1: Zero Dawn. Yeah. And uh, really, Tiny really Tina dug her in performance Borderlands. In
0: that. Oh, I did not yes, know that. Yep. I that's that's fun. That's fun. Very different characters though, too. That's yeah,
1: I mean she like She's obviously talented and has a lot of breadth in terms of her um, her yeah. vocal talent. Um, so, yeah, that, that's yeah, it's just a, a little – it's a shame. You know, that's one of the things that initially drew me to Life is Strange because, like you, yeah, I was absolutely. worried, oh, hipster bullshit. And I was like, well, Ashley Burch is doing it. I'll at least get it and play it to kind of support her and her career. And then mm-hmm. I, like, totally fell in love with it. Um, and I know it's a story that – because my girlfriend watched me play it that she and I are both pretty heavily invested in. So, like, we'll see – We'll see how not don't nod, um, or I guess do nod, um, are able to. That's what we're going to call them now. (laughs) Said no one ever. Um, We'll see how they handle the IP. Yeah. Uh,
0: And then there were two other big games that were. Shown at the Microsoft stage that are not exclusive. One of which was actually revealed being Metro Exodus, which I did not anticipate there being another Metro Me game. Me neither. Sure. That blew my fucking mind because I well, love. Yeah, those it was games. one of those where like, it like they once the like I. um cuz I like I didn't play 2033 at, at first and I know you were a big fan of it but once they were showing Last Light I was like oh this looks really cool I want to play this I'll also go back and play 2033 I thought Last Light was better from a g- gameplay perspective but like that that game had such a finality to the story like I was like and plus they neither of them were like phenomenally successful they were both like B tier games right. um uh, at least in terms of like sales and people talking about them but I was like, oh, well, this is done. Like, I hope the developer keeps doing other stuff, but this series is done. And then once they started the trailer, like, within the first 10 or 15 seconds, I was like, holy shit, is this a new Metro game? Yeah. Because, like, the the style of it and the visual, like, the way that they showcase the world is so unique. It is. And I think, like, the, the, I'm, I'm trying to remember the way the trailer started, but it was like, he comes across a dead body and, like, picks up, like, a shotgun shell, loads it into a gun or whatever. And it just felt so Metro. Yes. And I was like, oh, like, oh. Oh, hell yes. And so, I'm super pumped for that game. I am down it is for one more of, those of that. Where, like, they, they, and again, Microsoft did a really shitty job of, like, saying what the game actually is. Yep. Because, like a bunch of questions afterwards were like, oh, fuck, is this game Xbox exclusive? Like, that sucks. 2033 was a 360 exclusive, but then Last Light was available on both consoles, and so it was like, that seems kind of shitty to revert back to it being a console exclusive, but no, like, there's no exclusive content for Xbox, no timed exclusive. It's coming on, on both platforms simultaneously in addition to PC. It's just, like, the messaging around it was just kind of shitty. Yeah, super. And they made it feel like it was an exclusive, but that made me very happy because I am definitely playing that game and kind of some of the changes they've made. It's not an open world, but there are like larger open areas yeah. compared to the first few games. And that that's such a departure. Really, really cool. It sounds like a good direction. Because like those
1: big, those larger areas in the first game or the first couple games are really intense. Just like the larger yes. outside areas in two where there's um, yes. the, like the flying enemies that are like sweeping around. Right. And there's those creepy things in the water and all that. Like, Oh, those are some great areas. And knowing that we're getting Ugh. more of that, and the really cool thing, like, you know this takes place, um, maybe a significant amount of time after the others. I don't know if you play as RTM or not, but I don't think you do because mm-hmm. you had your gas mask on in the tunnels, which is normal. I mean some of the tunnels were yeah. like permeated with crap. And then you walk outside and pull the mask off and everything's like a lot greener, like things are starting mm-hmm. to regrow finally. And I was like, Oh shit, this is a fucking game changer. Like, that's a well, big Well, it deal. makes sense.
0: Like, assuming it does take place however many years after it, it does make sense because the Dark Ones, is that what, the, yes. what they were called? So, like, they, they, you know, and I won't go into spoiler territory, but they definitely set up the Dark Ones as kind of, like, the big enemy in the first two games. It's... You you don't know that much about them. They seem like this like alien, somewhat race, and you don't know like oh did they evolve from humans? Are they something else? Blah blah blah. And they're the ones that are kind of changing the way the world atmosphere is structured. Kyle, correct me if I'm saying any of this wrong. It's been a while, but um that that story resolves in the second game, and so it makes sense based upon like if this is years later that things would be changing. They would be going into that more revitalizing nature kind of thing. So I I didn't notice that until you just said it, Kyle but that that sounds like a really cool direction yeah. story-wise and
1: because you know i always like the second one it was f- i fucking love the second one i thought it uh did a lot of things with the gameplay that improved on the first one just in terms of um quality of life stuff um and yeah. you know the stealth became even better in the second one from the yeah. first one and uh, you know i was kind of thinking i, I you know I, I always thought like oh if they were gonna make another metro game what it would it, what would it be and To have them change something that's so fundamental to, like, the world that, like, it's just a thing I know, like, the surface sucks all the time. Mm -hmm. And, like, to have Mm -hmm. that fundamentally changed is kind of a, it doesn't seem like a big Big deal. deal, but it is. Yeah, for That's sure. That's
0: cool. Uh, and then the last game we have to talk about that was shown at Microsoft was uh, Middle Earth Shadow of War, which has obviously been previously announced. But we got to see some more stuff from the game. Did you play Shadow of Mordor? I
1: played a few hours of it and it did not draw yeah, me at all. Yeah, I'm in, in the same boat. I got stuck it's, it's on one of the same. bosses. I got kind of screwed over by the Nemesis system. Uh, and it was a yeah. really difficult game. Um, guy to fight and then I was like I don't like this game enough to try and power through or figure an alternative route out so I dropped it
0: Part of it for me was like the open world fatigue. Just those games are already hard for me to get into. And there are so many of them nowadays. And it just felt so similar to... Like the combat felt so familiar to Assassin's... Or no, not the combat. The exploration felt so similar to Assassin's Creed and the movement. And the combat felt so similar to Batman. Both games like I've played recently. And I was just like, it's not doing enough special... I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, which is why I was interested in the first place. But like the Lord of the Rings related story, I actively disliked like i hated how they integrated Gollum into the story i hated the whole uh storyline of like this it felt so anti lord of the rings with this like superhero kind of character like that's not that does not fit with the world of lord of the rings whatsoever so i like it's not like that i actively disliked the game but it certainly didn't grab me but With Shadow of War, not saying, like, I'm on board now. Uh, And, you know, I still own Shadow of Mordor. I will uh, try to go back to it at some point and give it another shot. Um, But with Shadow of War, some of the stuff they've changed about making the scale a little larger and giving, like, these kind of full-on siege kind of mentality of, like, oh, you have a whole army with you at once.
1: That all looks really, really cool. Yeah, that that seems neat. What was the Lord of the Rings game you and I played co-op? War in, War the, in North. the North. Yeah, and then our save bugged yeah. out we got screwed over. I was having a pretty good time yeah. with that game. At least playing with you. I mean, it certainly it certainly wasn't
0: amazing. Like, the combat wasn't no. great. But, it, it yes, it was just, like, a fun, let's play this co-op, we'll talk about random shit while we're playing. And the story in that was actually really yeah. cool. You got to follow to, uh, two of Elrond's sons kind of on this, like, side story that's happening concurrently to the main Lord of the Rings story. So, yeah. that, that was fun. You got to crisscross with some random characters. Like, I think... Legolas came in for a bit because you go to Rivendell right. and you talk to Elrond a bit, and then there was a
1: story with one of the eagles that you got to free and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's like I yeah, feel like yeah, that, that was that's a, a good example of kind of what to do with the story and have nods to the fans of the series yes, and franchise. Yes, yes. And then I don't feel like any of that was done properly in War in the North right. or um, uh, Shadow, Shadow of Mordor. Shadow of Mordor. Yeah, yeah, because War in the North
0: definitely felt like it existed in the same world; it was happening at the same time. Yeah. And the Shadow of Mordor felt it felt like it was a different universe just with the Lord of the Rings name. Totally, but yeah. Just our opinion. I know a lot of people really loved that game. I know Giant Bomb gave it game of the year in 2014. So there's definitely something to it, just didn't speak to us particularly. Right. Um, so those were kind of the big Microsoft games. We already talked a lot about the Xbox One X as a system. Obviously, not something either of one of us are going to be pre-ordering as of right now. No. But uh, maybe we'll talk more about that like as a future topic because I think that there's a lot of... Um, discussion to be had just on the current uh, trajectory that consoles are on i think it'll be really interesting over the next couple of years to see if they follow more of a like a phone mentality where there's a new one every year and you just kind of you don't you don't always buy the new one you buy one every two years or every three years and kind of that mentality i'll be really curious to see how, how that goes um, but moving on, we were also going to talk about Nintendo today. Thankfully, there's a little less to talk about with Nintendo. <laughs> we're, running we're running long. long. <laughs> um, but I did want to hit on like some of the big games. So to knock two out really quickly, because we really just saw trailers that were announced. There's a new Kirby game. There's a new Yoshi game. Both side-scrollers. They both feel familiar to fans of those kinds of games but also some like new gameplay twists i didn't have strong feelings towards either of them like they didn't make me particularly excited the biggest thing was like there are more games coming out on this yeah i feel like that was kind of the overarching message of nintendo's direct or not a press conference whatever the hell they call it because they have to be different but it was like we're going to continue to support this you won't only get two or three games every year there will be more games which I definitely appreciated when it comes to Kirby and Yoshi I'm glad we got to see the game Like I'm glad we got to see actual gameplay of the game Um, compared to something like oh hey they're making Metroid Prime 4 here's the title Metroid Prime 4 like I don't give a shit like cool. Also, the fact that the recent Metroid games have been shit Like that has me real scared. Until you can, until you can show me what the game actually is and prove that it will actually be good, I am not. I, I don't care at all. I'm not fanboying whatsoever over the fact that they're making Metroid Prime Four. Um, something I am excited about, but have similar feelings about, was that they said, "Hey, we're working on a Pokemon game for Switch." Yeah, and like I should say, like a Pokemon RPG in quotes for Switch, yes. which. Like, cool. I'm glad they're finally fucking doing that. Why it's taken up to this point for them to make a, a, a Pokemon game for their home
1: console boggles my it mind. It cannot like that's kinda, possibly take them like, that long. They have all of these assets. <laughs> they have The game I mean, has like, to already be made. Like
0: they, they're just well, I guess throwing it depends on what together, it is. Right? It depends on what it is. Like, are they making a full-on brand-new Pokemon with 150 new Pokemon, a brand-new story? Are they making a Johto Pokemon game just for console? Are they making uh, whatever the fuck, the ones that they just put out, Sun and Moon, but on console, and so they're changing it? Like, we don't really know what that Pokemon game will be. Um, I'm glad they're doing it, but it's, again, it's like, that seemed more around hey, if you're afraid that we have a couple games that came out the first year and then it's going to be fucking crickets the way that the Wii U went, this is kind of them alleviating some of those fears, which I do think is smart. It's like I could see both sides, but me as a cynic, or I should say a realist, I'm like, don't tell me a game is going to exist when you haven't even started working on it yet. It just seems like weird. It seems like a cop-out to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, But the two big games that they did show, which both look great, Mario Odyssey and Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. So So I guess to start with Mario Odyssey. That's a game we already knew existed before this. They announced it last year, two years ago. Um, That
1: game looks fucking bonkers. It looks fucking stupid. Oh, no, really? Yep. The whole thing with the hat, named Cappy, by the way, which it's fine, whatever. But the whole, like... (laughs) possess other things and become them like that's it's it's fucking stupid and like they totally oh. threw their wonderful charming amazing mario art style out the fucking window and like hey let's make things let's have actual people stomping around this city like it's well fucking, that's only part of the no, game but like though. all the, the other Dark areas stuff, i've seen yes. they all have those that looked- tint to them right? Like they're trying mm, to make that. That's not what I got. That's totally what I'm getting from it. I just think it looks like shit, but that bums me out that you don't think it looks.
0: Good I don't think I'm going to gonna even play you, it. I'm not, I'm not that excited for it. And I was hoping that you'd be able to be the positive side no. and sell me on it. Cause I'm with you. Like some of the hat stuff they showed was cool. Like the idea and the concept behind being able to take over these bodies of these different people and characters and inanimate objects. Like the idea of that's cool. I just, it doesn't really speak to me. Like, the weirdness, Nintendo does weird really well, but the weirdness shown in this doesn't super appeal to me, so no. that sucks.
1: I was hoping that you'd have good things to say about no, it, so you I, could I was, sell me on I moment. was really hoping it would be, like, you know, uh, Mario 3D World was, uh, it came out on 3DS, yes. you know, it, it had that art style, it had that, you know, that right. charm to it, and then they showed this, and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is this is stupid. I don't know, like, there are plenty of people who are excited about it and good for them, but I'm not going to fucking buy that game. And, I mean, most Mario games have been good or great, so,
0: like, there is some expectation that at least this won't be terrible, And Nintendo loves to experiment with new kinds of gameplay. And they usually succeed fairly well with that. Like, I mean, what they did in Super Mario Galaxy, like, with the differing gravity and moving from planet to planet, that was, like, really ambitious. And it certainly worked super fucking well. So it's, like, like I'm willing to give them the benefit of a doubt to an extent, but, like, at a core, shallow level, like, what they've shown isn't super speaking to me. Yeah, and I
1: guess, like, to... Um, I like a side statement for that, I, I guess. Like, the the Super Mario Galaxy stuff, it was such a wild change in uh, gameplay and like mm-hmm. uh, just like you know, overall structure of a game from all the previous Mario's, but it still looked like it belonged in the Mario universe. Sure, this doesn't yes, look yes, like yes. it takes place in the Mario universe. That's fair. Well, I mean, it literally doesn't. Oh, it,
0: it actually like some doesn't of it takes place. Yeah, I believe they've said like, the whole new Donk City is outside of the, the Mushroom Kingdom. I'm almost positive. Oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> I mean, I, I totally could be wrong. If I'm wrong, let me know. But uh, I believe that's what they've said. So I think it. Not that it makes it good, but it makes it make sense why. Some of the stuff looks and feels a little different. Yeah,
1: but now it's like, oh, that's what lies outside of the Mushroom Kingdom? Like, finally we find <laughs> out, and it's this shitty, awful, surrealist, like, Bleh. no thanks, right. man. Just stay in the Mushroom Kingdom. I mean, it,
0: it is at least called New Donk City, which is pretty amazing. Sure. <laughs> uh, but obviously the other big game they talked about, which was also shown at the Ubisoft press conference, was Mario & Rabbids Kingdom Battle. And this is, like, the opposite of, like, oh, there's a new Mario game coming out. I'm really excited. And then when I see it, I'm like, eh. And with this, it was like, hey, there's a Mario and Rabbids crossover where Mario shoots a laser yeah, gun. Yeah, and I, I was like, they and just gave Mario like, a f- You can go fuck <laughs> I yourself. was like, this is the like, first time you.
1: anyone not in-house in Nintendo has control over a Mario project. And they give him a fucking gun. Are you kidding me? And then Miyamoto yeah. fucking walks out and holds a gun on stage. And I'm <laughs> yes, like, what's going yes. on right now? And yes. then it looks awesome. If it, if it, no, that game looks so <laughs> looks good. And I
0: cannot believe it. Like, I'm not a huge tactical RPG person. You know, I like Final Fantasy Tactics and some other games like that. But I certainly never, like, glommed on to, like, XCOM. And that's what a lot of people are saying is that it's, like, this game is actually Mario and Rabbids XCOM. <laughs> no. Because some, some of the mechanics behind it looks – I know it's not going to be as difficult right. as XCOM. But um, when it comes to, like, some of the mechanics and the actual gameplay moment-to-moment stuff – uh, but I don't like the humor of it. Looks good, and some yeah. of the stuff that had leaked before, the humor felt like seemed terrible. I agree. And it was like it was, and and you know I've seen similar stuff in the entertainment industry of like these pitch docs where it's like really high level. We need to get you to understand this in in a visual form or in like two minutes of explanation. So it's like it feels a lot worse than it does in real life. But I remember like the original poster that was, re- that was uh, leaked was from this pitch doc for these characters. And it had like one of the rabbits dressed as peach with the selfie stick. and It was like hashtag sassy or whatever. And all of that was like, this seems like an abomination. It was a nightmare. And thankfully, like, thankfully, like, that didn't, at least doesn't seem to have made the transition to the actual game, because the humor that they showed worked for me. Like, some of it was a little lame and, like, a little kiddie at times, but it felt appropriate for Mario, yeah. and, like, I chuckled a couple times on what me they showed. Me
1: too! Said. And I don't feel that bad about it. <laughs> right. But, like, the, like but, the like, actual game. the actual game, game. yes. Totally. Yes. I, <laughs> it looks like a really good time. I, yeah, I cannot believe it, but... I'm very happy that it looks good. Yeah, and like I, that makes me happy that I have a Switch because I, I genuinely sure. am interested and excited to play that game.
0: Well, and especially since you're not as interested in Mario Odyssey, like right. knowing that there's another big game like that that you wouldn't have expected, I'm sure is nice. Yeah, that's a, that's Helps a really justify good that feeling. purchase. Yeah, so I mean, those are all the big hits from Nintendo. Obviously, they had a much shorter conference, fewer games to talk about, um, a little. I wouldn't say like underwhelming overall because like I'm glad that they're being um, forthright about their support for the system but like when it comes to the games they showed and the games they quote-unquote announced I wish we would have seen a little bit more but yeah um, definitely like as someone who doesn't own a switch I want one that's that's for sure and I feel like that's the goal of something like this is to get people like me to to want
1: to buy one yeah and like you know I feel like because even with the Wii U they had a D by the end of its life cycle they had a decent first-party offering, and but this feels like it's that, but at a little bit of a more accelerated rate. Uh, and yeah. Nintendo showing that they're willing to work with third parties um, to expand on their core franchises is exciting too. Because I don't, you know, I don't want to play Call of Duty on Switch, right? Like as much as people are like, sure. oh, you know, I'll bring all these games to the Nintendo consoles, so it's like a bigger library. That's not what you come to Switch for. It, it, it generally generally speaking if you have a switch you also have an xbox or a playstation or a pc that can play other stuff like you're not the switch isn't going to be your only console Uh, um and so uh seeing them experiment a little more um with their franchises and i know i just shit talked on mario odyssey for like 15 minutes but seeing them experiment more is a positive thing because those franchises can and have been in the past be very stagnant um mhm and so that's a, just like just a good sign for the switch in general um sure absolutely. and because it, it's just you know it, it it has me excited that we at least have one example of a really good crossover slash outside uh, third party involvement with their franchises Well, and just the
0: buzz around the Switch has been so much better, and the sales have been so much better than the Wii U, that, you know, Nintendo does have something to prove that they can get this third-party support, and I'm sure two third-party publishers, Nintendo needs to prove that they're going to continue to support this console, and so they will continue to see sales, Um, but this is definitely reassuring that... There will at least be some support, and like you know, even though Bethesda's putting Skyrim on like a fucking potato, if they could, <laughs> the fact that that is also coming to Switch, like it's it's yet again another example of uh, third party support for the system, which I think is is very healthy. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so that, that's kind of you know talked about Microsoft, talked about Nintendo. Um, you can check out the last episode if you haven't, where he talked about EA, Bethesda, and Ubisoft. Tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but in the next episode, we'll talk about uh, Sony and then some kind of miscellaneous games. So be sure to check that out. But now, before we leave you, it is time for Shay's Hate of the Week. Hate of the Week. So, this is kind of a spin-off of the Hate of the Week from last episode, where we talked about memes and some of the negative uh, points of what memes have done for joke telling. Um, I kind of want to talk about, and I've had strong feelings about this for quite a long time, so I'm glad to finally have an avenue to get it out there. These sites and, and, and social media handles and just people in general that steal jokes. Like, I fucking hate that, like, these people that will steal a joke and... Either just like put it out there and not give proper credit, or even worse, like claim it as their own. It's just, it's just such a shitty thing to do. And it's tricky because, like, you can't copyright a joke. And stealing jokes have been around for years and years and years, like especially amongst stand-up comedians. And like I remember, there was a story. This was a long time ago, so people listening, Kyle, you might have been too young to like understand it. But there was a big thing that came out about Carlos Mencia. This was like at the height of his popularity, and one of the reasons why you never hear about him anymore is because he was outed as having stolen a lot of his big bits from smaller comedians, and kind of it's like the. You know, standing on other people's shoulders to succeed versus kind of working your way up on your own and owning your own stuff. And so it's something that's been around for a long time, but I feel like has really pervaded uh, common culture with the explosion of social media in the last several years of stealing like jokes online. Um, And like there are two especially large. What, what are called joke aggregates, which is like a bullshit term for joke stealers yeah. called fuck Jerry and fat Jew are the two that I've heard of. Um, and like, I had only heard of them because my wife follows, I think she might just follow fat or fuck Jerry on Instagram, but like they just, they, they, someone will make a meme and whoever works at these places, they'll just research other people's, like they'll find memes and just steal them and post them. And they were finally starting to get outed as having stolen these of before. Like they would just post it. And so, like if if I'm online and I make a joke, you, like you assume that's my joke. Like why would I tell someone else's joke and not tell you it's someone else's right. joke? And so there was this mentality of like, oh, this these these people are really funny. They're they're putting out these hilarious memes and like Fat Jew as well. Like, oh, this dude's super funny. And I I, I don't know the the like the current state of it but i know fat jew in particular the guy behind the the handle he had a development deal with comedy central for a television show and this happened purely on the success of his instagram and like he was doing sponsored posts where he was getting paid money to promote products on his posts cuz he had you know several million wow. followers getting a ton of engagement and it's like his complete business his entire instagram platform like none of it was original content it was all purely taken from other places where he wasn't giving credit. And once he started getting more and more success, and like news of this Comedy Central development deal came out, people were finally like raising their hands and saying, wait, like this dude is literally doing nothing. Like, is this, like, I guess you could say the research and the aggregation of these take some
1: skill set i guess but not the skill set so like they're, the they're trying to get from it but yeah
0: not like what what would this dude's television show be like if you just if you steal look at his from platform, other television shows yeah. and and it's just this mentality of like oh well this was successful and like he is this you know social media influencer like giving this dude his own television show like that, like, what the fuck? It just pisses me off as someone who works in the entertainment industry and knows how many talented people are out there that lack opportunities, myself among them, and seeing someone else like this who literally is bringing nothing to the table when it comes to like talent or humor or creating content and seeing them like get an opportunity like this. Based on lies. Yeah. And so finally this stuff was coming to a head and people were saying, I mean, this dude just literally steals other people's shit where now these kinds of sites do credit. They'll say it like, Hey, they'll post this meme and then put on there like, Oh, credit this person and link to who it right. was. But it's still like, that still doesn't solve the problem because yes, at least I'm not pretending that it's their own joke, but they're still getting paid from sponsors yeah. to be posting other people's shit. And like, How many times, like if you saw someone tell a joke and thought that was funny and they quoted whoever else at the bottom, how many times out of 10 are you going to go look up that other person? One, two times out of 10 if it was really amazing? Like, no, because if if the mentality is, okay, I can either follow 30 people and get their funny stuff or I can follow one person who's going to give me all 30 of those people's stuff, I'm going to follow the one person. But like, so those 30 people are not getting, they're not getting the followers, they're not getting the sponsored posts, they're not getting, you know, the the growth from a social media perspective that they need to make a career in stand up or writing or whatever it is they're trying to do. And so it's still like stealing opportunities, not just stealing jokes, but stealing opportunities from the actual talented, funny people there are out there. It's just like. Like, that makes me so mad in and of itself. But then you have the people online that are like, well, it's just a fucking joke. Like, who gives a shit? Like, I mean, no offense to anybody listening to this, but I'm sure somebody out there listening to this is like, well, who cares? It's just a joke. And that's that's just as big of a problem, that pervasive sense of like, well, it doesn't matter. But if you look at it, like, it does matter because this is the lifeblood of these people that, like, stand-up comedians now are so different from stand-up comedians a decade ago where it was, you know... I'm gonna hang around at open mics in New York City and like try to work my way up there. I'm gonna, you know, wait tables at a really successful club and maybe they'll give me an opportunity to host or, you know, go tour a bunch of shitty colleges and and try to work my way up there and build an audience. Now they have another platform via social media where they can gain a following simply by being funny online because there are millions and millions and millions of people out there looking for funny shit. And you can make a a social media following that will then expand to an actual stand up career. Like, I know, uh, I don't know if you've heard of about rob delaney have you heard of him he's a stand-up and so that's kind of how his career got jump-started he was on twitter he was super funny and this was like in the early days of twitter where it was more easier to get a lot of followers and he just like skyrocketed to a bunch of uh, several million twitter followers and was like there were news articles being written of like the funniest dude on twitter like this is the guy you need to be following if you like comedy on twitter and like His stand-up career is so much more successful now because of Twitter than it was before. And so someone like him can succeed via social media, which is like a crazy concept in and of itself. But then you have people like Fuck Jerry Fat Jew who are taking away those opportunities. Like someone like Rob Delaney, if he was just starting up now, his best bits would be stolen by sites like Fuck Jerry and Fat Jew and no one would be looking at him. For this comedy, they'd be looking at Fuck Jerry and Fat Jew, either associating that comedy with them because people aren't smart enough to look at the CC or created by or written by or whatever else. Or even if they are acknowledging, oh, well, this isn't by them. It's by this dude, Rob Delaney. But why do I care? Why do I need to follow Rob Delaney when all of his funniest tweets are going to be on these other places? It's just like – like this is a huge, huge issue to me as someone who really cares about entertainment and especially comedy that like people aren't talking about this in the way that they should. And it just like – I don't know,
1: man. It just – it grinds my gears <laughs> um. now that i know you hate it i'm never gonna stop saying uh, so like I, I i get what you're saying and i agree with most of it i guess i would just say that when hmm, so when, when you're saying like they're purely stealing the jokes and completely taking credit for them and stuff it's not a one-to-one win fuck jerry loss original content creator because you know as long as they are giving credit I, I do agree like I don't know how to solve the problem of the fact that these aggregate sites are making money off other people's content. I don't know how to really solve that problem but there is you know there, there are so there's such a wide variety of people that follows aggregate sites that even if it is the one in ten, even if it is the one in 100 people that click that source right to go find out who origin who right. originated from, the internet is so vast now and there's so many people doing these types of things that odds are even Like even if someone wasn't having their shit stolen and put in people's faces, they would never get that even 1 in 100 person to see their stuff. So that's at least something that can be given back to the original so, creator. So I'm, not, I'm not saying that is proportionally fair or right. I'm just saying... I guess, like, I have no idea, and, you know, I'm 25 and not the best business mind in the world, but I have no idea how you even (laughs) begin to solve that kind of a problem, and I also don't know that it's fuck Jerry or Fat Jews' fault. Like, they have created this system. Like, they, they aggregated all of these funny things and put them out there, And their brilliant maneuver was making it easy for people, easier for people to find funny content, right? Like that's what they contributed. So that's what they make money. In my mind, that's why they make money because they created um, a a place in which uh, people have an easier time getting access to those things. Now, maybe the solution is... Oh, a certain you know, like we have a thousand views on this one post, and it's by this other person. We are getting paid ad money off of those thousand views, so a portion of that ad revenue should go to whom we cited as the source, right? Maybe right. that's part of a solution that's such a mess and,
0: and well, yeah, and I mean that that's one of my responses to what you're saying, because I feel like the core of your side of it is it, it opens up a larger potential audience than they would have been able to attain right. on their own. So that's a that Yeah. Which I think, I think that, that is 100% val- valid. Totally agree with that in, in, in theory. I think the issue comes down to two points. One is what you mentioned about the financial side that, these other people that are actually making the content are not making money off. Right. Of and so like, I guess I'd... it's people that are taking their yeah. things and and the, the, the larger piece of it, which I think is the, like where that would originate is permission. Like these aggregate sites are not getting permission from the content creators to be posting okay. this. There's no communication back and forth. They're not reaching out and be like, Oh yo, this was super funny. Hey, I have 6 million Twitter followers. Do you mind? Like, because one, it, like me, as the aggregate, it helps me because it's helping me create content, get more page views, grow my audience too by posting funny shit. But hey, I can also help you out, person with 1,000 Twitter followers, by giving you a much larger expanded audience. And like maybe the conversation can end there. If that person's is like, oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Like as long as you credit me. Like I'm fine with you using my stuff and and, and making a little bit of money for the page clicks or like if it's a sponsored post or whatever, because I'm going to see the return in expanding my audience. Like that's super cool. And then the second piece is that person, like, they should get a cut of that of that revenue. Yeah. Because I feel like the aggregate sites is still they're still hosting the content. They're still doing the work. They do have the larger audience, so like it makes sense why they're making some right. money. But at the core of it, like when it comes to Instagram, which is where like most of this is, at least in my experience, like uh, you know, uh, uh, an Instagram handle like fuck Jerry, like it's it doesn't cost money to have an Instagram. It's not like there is a ton of, like, there's no, like, web development work to be putting a post together. There's no time that they're spending making and, like, writing a comment about the joke. It's purely, like, let me, it's basically, like, I'll take a screenshot of this meme and post it on my site. And and then I'll CC whoever wrote overhead the right like Like, There's There's no no overhead. Yeah. right. Like there's no there, there's no added value on their end other than the larger audience, which like I, I you know, 100% agree there is value in that from from an ex, like um, uh, exposure point of view. There definitely is value in that. But at the core of it, like, that still bothers me because like if it were me, And, like, if it were me, I wouldn't want to be associated with one of those two places. Even if I thought that I would get more followers because of it, because of all the shit that's circling around those two in particular right now, and a lot of, like, the negative media and the negative press that they're getting because of this... I would not want to be associated with them. And that's totally just me personally. I wouldn't look down on someone else for pursuing that opportunity, but there could very well be other aggregate sites that I would like, like I follow the chive and they, they do similar stuff, but they always get permission. They always CC the person. They always link all their handles, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so like with a site like that, I might be interested in working with them and having some, like some of my quotes or whatever, if I was a stand up on because their site, it sounds like they so have more respect is,
1: for the content creator. And yeah, are more absolutely, cognizant absolutely. of their limited role in what they're doing. Yeah, so that's yeah. And,
0: and I don't know if I don't know if they give a cut because like they in um, the posts I'm thinking of specifically, like they do stand-up comedian posts where they'll show a picture of the person, a funny bit from one of their stand-ups, and then like link their Twitter or their Instagram or whatever else. And it's like it's a thing that I check in on regularly and. um, Like, I I will occasionally go, and I'm, like, the one out of ten. I will occasionally go look at their Twitter, see what else they got. Or, like, hey, I'll search on Netflix. Like, oh, has this person done a special before? Like, can I find some of their stuff on YouTube if I think it's really funny? I will absolutely do that sometimes, not all the time. I don't know if those people are getting a cut. I would assume they're not. But from an exposure perspective and knowing that they get permission ahead of time, that doesn't bother me as much. It's these places that, like, started out literally stealing this stuff and are now still stealing it. They're just telling you where they stole it from. Like, is that like, like, does that really make it better? So I guess at the core of it, it's like the core of it. It like, fuck, fuck Jerry. Fuck fat Jew. Like, that's really like. That's really the crux of the hate of the week, and I'm not saying fuck fat Jews. Like, I don't have a problem of people of the Jewish faith. I don't have faith. I don't have a problem with people that are overweight, but fuck fat Jews specifically. Like the fuck the one dude, fuck that guy, and also fuck fuck Jerry. I don't have a problem with with people named Jerry. Like if you're Jerry, not fuck you, but fuck fuck Jerry.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you were able. to. I found to... a good way to make that as confusing as, yeah, I'm as glad, possible. Uh, you were able to um, you know break that down and help everyone understand. <laughs> the like the the core of my hatred. It's not this like larger
0: thing. I don't have a problem with this larger thing, these people, but these specific people. Right. So yeah, so that I mean those that's my long winded feelings on people that steal jokes, fuck people that steal yeah, jokes. Yeah, I think that's messed up. Uh so, <laughs> yes. So um you know, thanks for everybody for listening to now episode three of the Shay Hates yeah. Everything podcast. Uh, if you have any thoughts like on what we just talked about or any games, um, any opinions on really anything we talked about, send an email to info at ShayHatesEverything.com. If you enjoyed this, want more content like this, uh, want to re- read reviews on some of the games we talked about, movies and, and whatnot, uh, you can check out my website ShayHatesEverything.com for more of my cynicism and sarcasm. Got to stick to my branding. And thanks, Kyle, for joining me today. Thank you. Yeah. And so, uh, like I said, next episode, we'll talk through Sony's press conference and some other E3 games, and also just uh, catching up on some other stuff we're watching, reading, and playing. And I guess we'll see you guys in the next one. Peace out.